Welcome to the Coaching Question Podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. And today's question is, should coaches be interested in your childhood? So, Gregor, what do you think about childhood and exploring that in a coaching session? Yeah, so we first came to this, we were thinking about birth order theory, you know, and should that be relevant in coaching? And that got us onto a big, way more uh, complex picture. But if we just think about birth order theory, I mean, it first came from a psychologist called Adler, and he was talking about a child having several personality characteristics depending on the birth order. For, for example, yeah. they're talking about the oldest child's more authoritarian and feels all powerful due to the high expectations of set by their parents. And you can already think of people thinking, well, my parents did. I'm the firstborn and my parents did high, didn't have high expectations. You know, and yeah. then the youngest child treated like a spoiled baby. Well, you were youngest, but you didn't feel very spoiled. You know, and they and they can never rise above the other siblings. <laughs> I'm just I'm just chuckling about the idea of me thinking I wasn't spoiled if my brother and sister listened to this. They probably go, "Yes, you were." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is really funny. So the thing is, how much truth is there? And they say the middle child is even tempered, but has trouble fitting in due to being sandwiched between the younger and older siblings. But the the thing is, it may have face validity, but once we've researched it there's actually very little real scientific validity to birth order theory. I think people like a label, don't they? They like to kind of go, well, you know, I was the youngest or I was the middle or I was the eldest and therefore, and it serves as quite a nice sort of explanation. But as you say, the, the science doesn't necessarily back it up. Yeah, and it's not to say that we that we shouldn't be interested in it because we know these things can really matter. So it's, yeah. it's not that a third child will always act in this way due to the birth order. It's more complex than that. However, we know that we're all shaped by the systems we exist within. And our family of origin is where we learn to take on certain roles. So what we're exploring today is how valuable it is to explore those hidden dimensions that we're playing out in our relationships at work. And that comes from our family system. And you had a lovely little story about you in the back seat of the car. <laughs> So my my brother and sister and I, so I'm the youngest of three, sisters the eldest, brothers in the middle, and they would nearly always fight. And we used to do quite a lot of long car journeys from Somerset down to Cornwall where we had a holiday home. And uh, I was always put in the middle of the two of them because they wouldn't fight over me, <laughs> which they still laugh about now. Um, but the, the downside of that is I was often travel sick in the car. So there are many funny stories of me being in the middle of them and then throwing up all over them. So I think I was less popular <laughs> as a result. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you it sounds like you then took on the role of peacemaker in the family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so that's a role you took on in childhood. And then do you then see that playing out at work? Yes. I mean, it's funny because I don't, you know, work within a sort of clearly defined team now because I'm working for myself. But I think that, you know, obviously I have lots of different work relationships but when I have been part of a clearly defined team in a sort of work context I very much notice myself wanting to kind of have harmony have an equal distribution of work you know people being supportive of each other and yeah smoothing over any kind of conflict that might be there yeah I'm the third child and I have very much taken on the role in my or I did take on the role in my family of trying to be the peacemaker 
yeah. wanting everybody to to get along very well together. So it's not statistically proven, but we can see that our family system impacts us. So yeah, it's the thing is that we make decisions in early childhood that are unconsciously playing out now. Yeah, and actually that was one of the things that we wanted to explore in this podcast today was was particularly thinking about because you you intentionally use that language of the decisions that we make in childhood, and I think I'm right in believing that that is quite heavily influenced by transactional analysis. Is that right? Yeah, because I I'm a real fan of TA and I've gone into it quite deeply. But what I will do in my contracting says I. I, I joke about it. It says, I'm not, this isn't therapy. I'm never going to ask you to lie down on a couch and tell me about your childhood. But what I'm interested in are the decisions that you made in childhood that will have been really good for you. There have been really good decisions that have allowed you to survive and perform. But if they keep on running unconsciously, they're no longer beneficial. Yeah. So we need to bring them into our awareness so we can make different choices. So it's not about going back and finding out why. The way I tend to explain it with clients, again, along the same lines as you with contracting, is to say, if we only work with what's here and now and look to the future, then actually we're missing quite a big piece of the jigsaw because so much of what's here and now is influenced by your history. It's about, as you say, the decisions that you've made or the the way you've learned to relate to people comes from family of origin, you know, your family you were born into. And, and, and actually, if I can just build on that point, I think there's something which is, because I think quite a few people might listen to this and sort of go, gosh, you know, wow, you'd really think about childhood and coaching. But I think the, the important point to emphasize here is that we make it very safe. So clients will only share what they want to share. We're not going to sit there and probe and analyze and deeply explore, you know, painful memories that they don't want to they don't want to go into. We're very much interested in exploring how has what you have learned in life shaped you to be who you are today and actually how, what are those behavioral patterns or um, strategies that you've developed that actually may no longer be serving you? One of the things I like to do early on in a relationship is, and maybe in the chemistry session even, I'll ask how many brothers and sisters people have and where they are in that order. Now, birth order may or may not be scientifically valid. There's loads of other things going on. Mm. But by having it there as a conversation topic, they will tell me more about their family system. Yeah. So, for example, if I think of one client, they're the second and youngest child, but their elder sibling is a massively high achiever. And so the, the consequence is that that led, just talking about that, the, the client told me they've got they're incredibly competitive, mm-hmm. you know, to the point of self-damaging levels of effort and resilience. So when people talk about resilience as a good thing, I'd say this is resilience as a bad thing because mm-hmm. they're so tough that they do themselves damage. So one of the things that I'm hearing you talk about there as you as you share that example, Gregor, is the behavioral drivers that we know and use in transactional analysis. And these are these are kind of behavioral well drivers, aren't they, that we pick up in childhood that we learn to use in order to survive or to, to exist to be to be okay within our family of origin. Yeah, and there are there are five basic drivers uh, that people talk about, but it essentially goes along the lines of I'm okay if, and there are surviving adaptations and performing adaptations, but I know that nearly everybody I ever deal with will have one of the drivers called try hard. So Mm -hmm. I'm okay if I can try hard. They like taking on big challenges. 
they feel good when they're struggling. They don't feel good or they get bored very easily if things are easy. They might have a little rest, but then they want to be taken on another big challenge. So that is a very useful driver for people to have. However, this client I was talking about, they've got such a strong triad driver that it goes to the point of them being self-damaging. Yeah. They take on so much in combination with some of the other drivers that they really want to please. So that's another driver, please others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they really take on huge challenges. They really want to please. So they might be considered selfless, but what they do is they put themselves into a position where they will actually damage themselves. They're not getting enough sleep. They're not eating well enough. They're overworking. They're stressed and they're going to, they're going to burn out unless they do something about this. Um, so I can remember a client I've worked with who, who was really had a very strong please others driver. Um, and that was impacting exactly as you've just said there, you know, working weekends, taking on work that actually they needed to delegate and manage those boundaries more effectively. But it was really affecting on their well-being. So I can absolutely, you know, hear what you're saying in, in that client example there. And I know, I know it's not uncommon, is it, to hear that sort of thing in our coaching conversations? No, and and we can relate it. We can also relate it to the vertical development stuff. We, you can you can have stuff whereas somebody could be really really highly capable, but they still struggle to delegate. Yeah, and that's often it's it'll be one of two drivers that are coming in that people have, have learned in their family system will be to please others or to be perfect. Mm. And if you've got both of those things, that mm-hmm. you want things to be perfect, so you don't want to give them away. Mm. And you really want to do a good job for someone else, and you and you don't feel comfortable delegating to other and putting pressure on other people because mm. that was not something you did in your family system. Mm. So therefore, you are being held back in your career by these things that are actually coming, the rules that you learn in childhood that you're trying to comply with unconsciously. They're really getting in the way. And that's what you mean when you say the decisions that you make in childhood, isn't it? Because it's all about these strategies that we learn and they become almost automatic, unconscious. And as you say, in adulthood can play out so much that actually they end up sometimes being a derailer. They are automatic and conscious because we learn these adaptations really early on. Our performing adaptations we will learn between three and five years old. Often we'll be able to relate to stuff in our memory like my father said to me, I don't care what you get on your report card as long as you tried your hardest. Yeah. That's a very, you know, that's very conscious. But when I say decisions, I'm not meaning conscious decisions. And th- these are often decisions we make totally unconsciously. Mm. So actually, if I'm being uh, pedantic about this, we'd probably call them subconscious in terms okay. of they're easily accessible. They're mm-hmm. not really, really deep down but they're easily accessible. So they would be subconscious rather than, than unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can access them. But it's bringing them into our awareness so we can make different choices. And that's why it's interesting. And I use birth order as a nice way into it. You know, that is something that maybe you'd think a therapist would be more interested in finding out about your family system. 
Mm. But it's really useful for us as coaches. And one of the ways I like to think about this is, you know, we, when we come into any kind of work scenario, our work relationships are most likely going to mirror those that were modelled for us growing up. So one of the things that I think is quite interesting about this is, you know, how I interact with or how I relate to my boss is quite likely to mirror the relationship I had with my parents and how I relate to or interact with my colleagues and my team is quite likely to mirror the relationship I had with my siblings. So some of the ways in which all of this can be really useful in coaching is unpicking when there's some kind of interpersonal issue whatever that might be in the workplace, is understanding what might be the hidden dimensions at play underneath those issues. And that I think that's why the boundaries have to be really clear. You know, what is coaching? What is therapy? So if I think of an example, so I've had a few clients have been in therapy at the same time they've been in coaching. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So this client, it, it was very clear that they only had this particular dynamic when they were dealing with their boss and their boss's boss. Yeah. They didn't have this dynamic any place else. So we took, and I said, what do you think is really going on? And they talked about it and we came up with some strategies and said, I'll tell you what I think is really going on. It's what's happening with your boss and your boss's boss is you're replaying the dynamic you had with your father, yeah. I suggest you take this to your therapist. Yeah. So I was not going to explore the relationship he had with his father there. Mm -hmm. I, I had enough data to coach him, but if mm -hmm. he wanted to resolve that at a deeper level, then that's something to take to the therapist. So I thought it was a really good example of where you might manage boundaries. Yeah. And, and, and if you've got somebody, I'm just thinking about that, you know, if you've got somebody where that's playing out, but they're not actually in therapy at the same time, that's then for them to decide if that's something they need to go and unpick in a different way. Actually, sometimes it might be enough just to get recognised, ah, okay, hang on a second, this is what's happening here, this is what's playing out here. Well, how do I manage that in the workplace more effectively for me? And that might be enough, and the coaching can serve that purpose. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where, like, for example, if you think about journaling, yeah. do, do you ask clients to journal? I invite them to, but I agree with you. I think it's one of those things that not everybody wants to do. And for me personally, I struggle to do it on a daily basis. I just can't no. can't make it fit into my life. So I do it on an ad hoc basis, but I do do it. But I do it on an ad hoc basis as opposed to a sort of a regular daily or weekly ritual. Some of the things I have found it useful to ask people to journal on is about stories told in the family. Mm-hmm because they will often represent unconscious programming. They're, they're, they're yeah. little stories that, that mean something or you make it mean something. So you make it mean uh, it's important to be tough or you make yeah. it mean it's important to be resilient or you can't ask for help. Yeah, or I'm going to just put up with what this situation. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to just, you know, keep my voice quiet. Right, all of those things. So again, yeah. all we're doing here is, bring, is we're using journaling to bring into awareness. Yes, yeah, so I think that um, the where, where journaling can be useful because so often we're caught up in our day-to-day -day work and our job and actually where coaching can be so valuable is pressing pause and creating that space to reflect. And actually journaling is almost a way of spending that time with yourself, carving aside some time to really reflect on, okay, so where are these habitual patterns that I've learned about in the coaching coming up? And so one of the things I'll often invite a client to do when they recognize something so for example oh yes that's 
that's how I, you know, that's, that's kind of my relationship with my dad. And I can see that playing out with my boss right now is almost just kind of go, Oh yes. Hello, little me, you know, there it is again. There's that pattern, you know, playing out and you can just note down that, you know, how you recognized it. And it just helps to bring it into that level of consciousness. So you're more aware of it and more able to make, make different choices. Yeah. And you talk about, Oh, hello, little me. Shinti yeah. would be the, the child state. We're, yeah. we're not going to go into that now, but that's one of the things I also ask people to journal on is, or just to make a note of, what are the things that trigger them into the unresourceful states? Yeah, an unresourceful state is little me, right? Well, often it will be. So, for example, I'm okay presenting to to one or two people or a, a small audience. Yeah. But as soon as I'm asked to present to a large audience, I completely freeze. Yeah. So the large audience is a trigger or I'm okay with partner A and partner B, but as soon as partner C walks in or they've got this certain voice on, I, 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 again, I've become really jittery. Yeah. You know, so it's, those are the triggers and those will be triggers. Uh, again, another term from TA, which are rubber banding you, which is like you're being stretched yeah. back, you're being pinged back to your child state. And I, the thing I think about being rubber banded is what would it be like for me as an adult, as a 56-year-old, to walk in to the staff room in my primary school? I bet you I would still feel really quite nervous and off to walk into yeah. that room because it was such a strong injunction. You never walk into the staff room. And so just for people listening, when you say injunction, that was a rule you learned, yeah? So an injunction is an instruction. So it's technical term for yeah. an instruction. So we learn we learn injunctions from our, our parents. One thing you said earlier is you said our parents. And yeah. uh, in a TA perspective, our parent is not just our mum and dad. So our parent, quite often the people who can yeah. be more influential can be our grandparents or a sibling that's older than eight years old yeah. um, or certain teachers. They could all be, they would all be classified as parent, you know. So people might say, oh, you learn that from your parent and you go, well, my mum and dad never told me that. But it could be your grandmother. There's people with influence, isn't it? Yeah, it's people with, with influence. But it, it, surprisingly, grandparents can actually be even more powerful than parents. Mm. So wrapping this up then, thinking about coaches being interested in your childhood. I mean, I think there's something quite interesting about that question because interested in your childhood. I mean, I would only be interested in your childhood with a, with a view to how that can be useful to us here and now in terms of what you're bringing to coaching. So it's, it's I think it's really important to just emphasise that's the balance. That's the perspective that we would, we would take. I think it's, I'm interested in the rules and, and the roles. It's your Scottish accent, your, the rules and, and the, the roles. roles. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so the, so the rules I came up with, I'm okay if I. What did I learn? Yeah. And, and the roles that I learned to play. So like I peace, think that, that's, that's what I'm interested in talking about your childhood for. I'm not interested in, in, in anything else, really. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, we're interested in it because we want to know or understand how that's playing out now. Yeah. And and I mean, actually, just on that point, it's it's that Marshall Goldsmith book. And there's we've been put these in the show notes, but there's that Marshall Goldsmith book of, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And then there's another a more updated version, which is specifically written for women, which is quite interesting, but it's about um, how women rise. And again, it's about those behaviours and those patterns, those rules and roles that we've learned 
and you know how they may actually be getting in the way of career development and career enhancement in the workplace. And, and another resource that you thought was really useful, um, which I haven't listened to yet, is another Estelle, uh, Esther Perel podcast where you're saying that uh, two individuals who really couldn't understand where the conflict was coming from, but they discovered it through that session with her. It was to do with their family systems. Yeah. So listen to Esther Perel's podcast, How's Work? That's a really good one to yeah, check in with. We'll put the individual details in the, in the show notes. So what would be our three tips uh, in this area, Sarah? So I think my first one is, you know, if you find yourself having some kind of a challenge with a colleague that's kind of got an interpersonal element to it, then just pause for a moment and reflect on your part in that interpersonal challenge and think about how familiar it feels. Think about if you've been there before, you know, ask yourself the question, where might I have learned this? And just see what comes up. And and is it still a good decision? Yes. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is it still serving me? Yeah. Yeah. I think my tip would be essentially take the time to journal. It is an investment in time, but that added reflection, it's not about getting a new skill. It's not horizontal development. It's, it, you know, it's about you thinking about what makes you tick. Yeah. Take the time to journal on, on family stories or triggers or, you know, any of those rules or roles that you go about with. Yeah. And then I think the final one is probably a combination of both of those really, which is just, you know, taking all of that into consideration, what is being expected of you in your work capacity, looking at those work relationships. Um, a bit like you were saying to me about me being peacemaker. How is that playing out with me and my colleagues at work? What is the relationship I've got with my boss? And does that feel like it's familiar um, in terms of what I might have learned? Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. With just the two of us yeah. in the interview uh, this time. And uh, that's this is our, uh, our last recording before christmas 2021 it is yeah i know people are going to be uh, listening to this in 2022 but merry christmas (laughs) thank you for taking the time to listen to the show we appreciate any feedback and we're keen to respond to any questions that there are out there about using and implementing coaching in organizations uh, particularly so please email us on info at the coachingquestion.com and please do give us a five-star rating on itunes or your preferred podcasting uh, platform if you can really helps us spread the word to a wider audience so cheerio everyone thank you for listening